out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Gary Clow, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, famous for such songs as Beef, Human Nature, working with On You Sound and Adrian Sherwood, and um, is currently got a new project, which we will be talking about in this interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very interesting subject that were the early formative years of Gary Clow. Gary, tell us how it all happened. It's over to you. I was born 59, so it was it was similar for me in that background. Well, I, did, I wasn't like a, a teenager who bought lots of pop music, but I was very diverse. I could go, you know, I grew up in, my dad was into country and western, my mum was into musicals, and then, you know, growing up, and then I got into glam rock, Slade, and, you know, especially Mark Boland, things like that. But my first kind of, when I became, like, really into music was my my mum and my dad divorced and she bought an off license in the St Paul's Eastern area of Bristol and we had a little off license there and like the prostitutes used to come in and the dreads used to come in and buy their tobacco and whatever and across the road from me was um what they used to call a late night blues basically an illegal drinking den with a big sound system in there and i got to know everybody and i used to just go there um you know i i, I really shouldn't have been out but i was like 15 and i'd go down you know what boys are like and I, that, that whole kind of scene that reggae thing really took hold of me to be yes. honest with you it i just got i just i just and i like watching the guys on the microphone and they'd come up and they'd put a dub track on and then they'd flip the disc over and then a DJ would get up or, or a toaster, as they would call them, and go on the microphone and give out information about could be anything, police or got to get a cure for the cancer because Bob Marley died around about that time. And, you know, so it was kind of fascinating for me, but that's what really hooked me into music. Yes, blimey, that was quite interesting. So your dad's collection was that the kind of because my 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 dad was a bit into country and he it was the country that was not cool. It was like Jim Reeves, Boxcar Willie, you know Tammy Wynette kind of stuff. My, my dad was more more kind of like um, Bobby Bear, um, uh, Frank, uh, Hank Williams, uh, Johnny Cash, obviously, mm-hmm. right? You know that sort of thing. Nice. Um, and, but, you know, I, I've really grown up uh, over the years. What I've come to realise right, is any music, if it's good and it catches you and it, it's got something going on in there, and it can be anything, it can be little melodies, just a couple of little notes, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about music, like, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I've never really been into cool DJing where the DJ's so perfectly mixed and it's all house music. So I'm, like, I'm all right for an hour with it. And then after a while, I prefer people who get up and they've got their record collection and um, they put on whatever they want. Yes. I, I, think that I, I find that far more interesting, right? You know, it's like um, I've been, I've been, I've been, uh, I've had a, I had a six months residency at the Dublin Castle, obviously, because the guy who got to, he heard I got this new album put together, the first one in, God, really, the first proper album in since 1994. And then he, he, he contacted me and he said, "What? What? Can I can can I have a listen to this?" And I said, "Well, the thing is, I've got to get it registered. I haven't got a record label, 
two of us have made it. And then uh, I sent him a few tracks over the internet, and uh, he just loved it. He said, look, what I love, he said, oh, you haven't been around. Look, I want to offer you a residency at, up at the Dublin Castle, right? Uh, how do you want to do this? And I said, well, I'm working with a guy called Tony Rafter, who's um, worked with Mark Stewart. He's Galacto Babies. He's, you know, in his 60s now, and he's been, he's never stopped being a musician. He plays sax, plays trumpet. I've got him on board, so I want, I want, basically I can come up to the Dublin Castle, play outtakes of the album, um, like similar versions to what's on there, and then I can pick up the mic and then he can then play flute, trumpet, sax, in and out whenever he feels. So it'll be totally, totally freelancing, coming in and we want. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So, 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 but getting back to the original question, I got some web there. He's a DJ. He, he's got his own called Soho Radio, and he plays everything. He gets guests in, you know, and I think it's a once a month program, and obviously with the lockdown. But yeah, and then I, I, I started, and he's great. He'll play everything, everything. It really, really, and um, you know, I, I find that much more interesting. I don't think it's because you're getting older, but for me, that's music is music. If it's good music, and it's got something to say, and it catches you, and it could be a rave tune, it could be rock and roll. It could be a piano. And I've started listening in the lockdown to Radio 3. Nice. You know, <laughs> and it's really strange, right, because like Classic FM don't really do a lot for me, right, because we've all heard the tunes as we grew up. But Radio 3 seemed to play, I thought it was really boring to begin with, right, but when we went into deep lockdown, I you know, couldn't go out, didn't know what to do with myself. So, you know, you find yourself lying on the bed on like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I discovered Radio 3. So I've been listening to a lot of that, really. And I started to realize, you know, some of the good these opera singers are and stuff I've never heard before in my life. And, of course, it puts little light bulbs on you in your own head. Yes. If that makes any sense, you Absol- know? No, absolutely. No, I've always, you know, I have that kind of... Um, I have to say, most... There's always one, you know, in every genre of music, there's often something that I really quite find fascinating. I mean, I even got into sort of very old... Um, I suppose you'd call it country music, but it was the music that was often played at those... It was called the Playford Ball. It was like the the events that, you know, like Mr Darcy, you know, those kind of period dramas. There was like pre Cayley music, I suppose. But because yeah, of yeah. kind of the instrumentation and the kind of the ry- rhythm and melody... I actually found it quite sort of exciting. You know, I thought, actually, there's quite a groove here. And I suppose if you look at the history of music, you know, it's evolved from that period. I mean, before that, we don't know what people used to listen to, but they must have listened to something. But that was kind of... People rec- not recorded it because there wasn't any ability, but wrote down what the music was. And John, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was like John Playford was this guy who collected and archived this music. So it's called the Playford Ball music. And then, you know, that's the music that you get in these period dramas. And so yeah. you kind of realise, if you, with a curious curiosity that I have, you realise, oh yeah, so the next century they started playing this, and then they started playing this, and then you had the jazz, and then blues, and then you had rock and roll, and you think, okay, but you know, it didn't rock and roll didn't just start, did it? You know, there was a kind of a history of music, and and classical music's the same because I remember this guy called Howard Goodall on Radio Three, and he had yeah. some like. Um, music in a hundred or fifty pieces, the most important fifty pieces of music ever, and it's a really amazing series. And I thought oh, I'm not going to be that interested. It was like, but they were five minutes or ten minutes each, and I started listening to them. I thought 
God, this is incredible, like the history of music. And he said, oh, this is really important because this guy did this or this person did this. And then music, you know, kept moving until he kind of finished with, like, I don't know, Philip Glass it or something. Bree- it breathes. I, I think, I think and like I said, I never thought, I'd, you know, I could tolerate one or two tunes off of classic FM, you know, 10 years ago. Now I, I, got it on, I had it on this morning. I had it on this afternoon, right, you know. Yes. And, uh, that's that's the that's the great that's the great thing about it. Like, you know, it's um it's always been I wouldn't say like a real hobby of mine, but it's something I keep going back to. I've never really you know most people grow up or, or whatever have a hobby or they do something, and I never really had one. But I, I got into reggae really early age, especially this kind of like dub play um, Jamaican stuff. And before I had the glam rocks, I used to love dancing as a teenager, going up the youth club. Then, then you'd kind of blag your way down to the Locarno, pretending you were 16 when you were 14 on a Monday night, you know, and trying to get the last bus home before your parents found out. <laughs> and you know, it, it's yeah. So it's been a so it's a journey, and I think it is for a lot of people. I think we've all got special tunes that you think you know you listen to come on the radio and um yes it's it's it's, it's really weird like i've i've not i've not really listened to amy winehouse stuff apart from you know bits i've heard on about when she died and it was all over the place and then this afternoon sarah cox was on and i i happened to flick onto it and one of the tracks off the album was on and i realized how good it was do you know what i mean and maybe i should buy that album because um i tend to stay away from when when records become uh, really popular, because everyone's bought them, oh, I've got this kind of weird thing. I I try and stay away. I don't know if it's me being arrogant or something. Like I just didn't. I try and stay away from the mainstream. But that, that's stupid, really, because if an album's good, an album's good. Yeah. And I like people who make proper albums. You know. I don't like, you know, when they, you know, we all got fed up back in my day of buying albums that had the hits on them, you know, the glam, and then the rest of it was just fillers. So <laughs> over the years, right, anything I, I put out um, in the past with the all new Sound Boys, right, you know, and Adrian was a great craftsman, um, and especially with this new album, this album called Violence I've done, it's been crafted, it, 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 it flows. I've played it to a few people, I've played it to a few knowledgeable people. And they haven't said a word, and they've listened to it and go, "Guys, you've nailed it." And it, 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 it's because I had um, a complete free hand with a producer, first time ever, who came into my life about five years ago, and and we had a go with this album called Nail It to the Mask, and we chucked the kitchen sink, but it didn't quite work. It was out of sync. There was a couple of good tracks on there, but this one is honestly it flows, and it's. It's like buying an old Pink Floyd album or something. It's, it's nothing like Pink Floyd, but the way Pink Floyd albums flowed, you went on a journey, and I've managed to achieve this with this one. So, yeah, I, yeah. So you know, you know, as as far as like the future goes, I've got something in the bag that I can be really proud of, and at the same time, I can go out and deliver and play the likes of London again, because uh, for years. I was getting offered shows every now and again because I've been working since 1994 uh, in social services. I've been working with homeless people and in the last few five years, just before the lockdown, I've been working with people coming out of prison. And um, and then I got made redundant. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic because I, I managed to get a few gigs under my belt, under, uh, under, my, own, uh, under my own kind of 
curation away from on you sound and um yeah i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to when when the clubs open again because i've got shows booked right oh this is yes both good and frustrating because actually i have to confess i did see you live in the uea 19 probably 89 when you had probably got one single but you i think you actually it was you and and nothing else and i think you had to yeah 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 and i I remember that gig i remember that gig (laughs) i got presented that night sherwood walked into that gig because i I, that's how i started in it because you remember i was never a musician right I, i met i met mark stewart in bristol he needed a lift. He, he, something happened, and I had a car, and he needed a lift. He's going back '88, and he needed a lift to Amsterdam or something. He'd missed. He had party and something, and his band. It wasn't the pop group. I think it was the Mafia. Mark Stewart and the Mafia. And I, I said, "Can you could, could you drive me? I'll pay. I'll pay your thing, and and we're going to do a few gigs." Ever and I'd never been anywhere, you know. Really, it's, you know, AEA. I'd not even been abroad for the first time. So I, I took him, I, and that's how my career started. Was met Adrian Sherwood, and and um, you know, I I I I just remember saying to him, right, you know, on the second Mafia show, can I have a go on the microphone? And he obviously saw something in me because I was invited to go back. To on you, yes. um, and there was a collaboration. There was Tackhead was uh, floating around at the time. Lee Scratch Perry, Adrian had been working with. Oh God, honestly, so many people, right? You know, um, Prince Farai, and I suddenly thought, like, you know, what well, if I'm going to be part? I need to do something, right? I need to do something. So I started recording everything. They had a. They, we were working at Southern Studios. And it was the days when everybody used tape. And I I ended up with like literally hundreds of cassettes. And I would play them in my flat. And then I, I bought myself a double cassette machine. And I'd edit these tapes together the best way I could with the pause button. So when I was turning up at the shows, I had this little 90-minute cassette of all these outtakes that no one had ever heard. And I started doing the warm-up for, you know, Adrian's acts, whether it be Croatian Reber, Mark Stewart, Tackhead and whatever, and I'd go on the microphone and he showed me a couple of little things with the effects. So I kind of became the warmer pack. <laughs> it's quite bizarre, <laughs> really. And uh, when you saw me in London, no, I this was at the U- that was at the UEA. It was the UEA in Norwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I remember. I was upstairs in the bulk. It was packed, wasn't it? It was packed because and and it was I... grand, yeah. And I had beef. Beef was kind of like this new track that was out. John Peel had played it. Yeah, I'd had a couple of kind of underground hit, if you want to call it that. John Peel was a big, you know, I wouldn't say a fan, but he he really liked my early stuff. My first. I think single was half cut for confidence. Yes. So there was been a few tunes out. So by the time I played that that night, um, I had had a little was like a little bit known. And Adrian Sherwood walked in halfway through. He just had a big smile on his face because I'd been working from outtakes of other session work he'd done. And um, this is how End of the Century Party came about. And he presented me with the finished album. I knew I knew it was coming. I mean, I didn't ask to make a record with him. It just kind of seemed to happen like you know I'd, I'd sing on a couple of tracks at, at recording sessions when it was dead time and um i had people writing with me like mark stewart and tackhead boys and i'd come up with a few things like privatized the air i wrote that I, I wrote that with a guy called andy fairley who's a poet who went on to do an album with adrian sherwood 
Yeah, so it's been, it's been a it's 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 not been like a, a really straight road. It's been kind of very very, <laughs> you know, <laughs> off the wall. Yeah, because I suppose actually, you know, from doing these these the interviews, you know, I mean, nothing's very straightforward unless unless you're you know probably one of the very few people. And I suppose you're looking at people like I don't know, Sting, Bono, people like that who kind of just has managed to stay in music and that's been it for various reasons most people have done that five years of being in a, in a band and then it breaks and then they have to do something else and then they might get back into a bit of music but you know it's not it's not the easiest career path is it let's face it you know it's no, it's, 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 a, it's it's a it's a really weird one like, <laughs> you know what I mean and like I said like you know it was kind of it was, you know, it was like happenings for me. You know, I, when I when you came to that gig, and not long after that, I, I, because Mike, there was a, an agent called Mike Inc, and he had, he would represent. Um, we were all in the same building at one point in Walthamstow. There was a studio there. Mike Inc had an office. He was like a, 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 a an agent for bands, but it, it, all he had was Morrissey at one point, Twisted Sister. And then me, right? But and then he booked gigs for Adrian, right? And the kind of more times I would I mean, because I would had all had all this material that no one had ever heard, weak cassettes. I mean, who DJs with good cassettes? I did. You know, they were kind of like it was weird. And then he said to me, Oh what, I've just had a, a phone call today, right? because I've played another London famous bit of an underground club. I think it was uh, Forgive me, it come to me a minute. But he said they want you to play um, uh, support front two four two in London at the Astoria, and I went. Yeah, he said they're offering really good wages. They want you to open up the show. Well, me being me, because I've got this like huge mixing desk. I've got like four cassette decks. I've got it all in stereo. I've got the microphone. I've got an old echo chamber. I tore it to bits. The next thing, I got this guy stood behind me, tapping me, going, "What is this?" And I'm trying to explain in the middle of middle of a you know playing music. And I said, "Well, speak to me afterwards." And it ended up being Paul Openfold. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like fascinated. What are you doing? How are you? I said, well, I've got these cassettes and some's got sound effects. Most of them's just got tracks edited together. And I said, in between the gaps, I'm DJing. And he said, it's not all your music. I said, no. You know, said, what was that privatised? Yeah. I said, well, that belongs on an album. And he said, but there was this dance track. I said, well, that's going to go on a pair or back. He said, what's a pair or back? It was so like, hard to explain. <laughs> but anyway, from that, I introduced him to Bobby Marshall, who was like kind of uh, representing, you know, keep, you know, trying to get me more well-known. He got me gigs with the Happy Mondays. And uh, I ended up getting signed to Perfecto, which belonged to RCA. Yeah, that's right. Because in the 80s, because I suppose I'm I'm an in indie kid from the 80s, but, <coughs> but like you were saying at the beginning, you know, I was obsessed with John Peel, so I'd record his show and then listen to it on my trusty TDK D90 cassette. And, he, he, and every show was just like a huge variety of music. He'd play 50s soul music and Aaron, people like Aaron Neville to Dennis Brown, Augustus Pablo to indie pop yeah. to death metal to Bulgarian folk music with Martin yeah. Sebastian. So it was kind of like, it kind of suited my brain because I've got... Like, 
I've got a limited attention span, really. So it's quite like, oh, this is good fun, you know, because you're not going to get bored, are you, basically? And so obviously during that time, A, you had that political scene because Thatcher had got in and then you had the, the Falkland War, then you had the miners' strike, and then you had... And Adrian and the the sort of the great sort of on-use sound system was one that was... John Peel was always playing a track, wasn't he? You know, it was like... Uh, he was, he was. He, was. He, played all, he played all my early stuff, right? He played all, lots of Adrian's things, right? And this wasn't because we knew him or anything. Uh, I mean, but it was the days when you could literally send a demo in to John Peel and surprise, surprise, you know, you could be, you could, you could be from like Southampton or middle of Bristol and might have a little, you could be, you know, made a piece of music. It could be in a band, not in a band. And, and there, there was a chance it might get played if you liked it. Yes, this is true. Absolutely. I mean, that was always the joy. And, and so there was, you know, so did you know people like, is it Annie Anxiety who was part of On You Sound? And then yeah, I knew them. I, I never knew. I never knew anybody. Remember before that? I you know before I met Mark Stewart, I was working on building sites, that sort of thing, right? You know, and it was only I happened to meet Mark Stewart. That's all. But yeah, I knew Annie Ang from Crass and everything, right? She was living at Adrian's house. I bumped, you know, and then there was loads of people around. And of course, right, you know, I didn't know who any of them were. And they were quite big names like Joe Wobble, Keith Levine. And Adrian quite liked that about me because I wasn't starstruck or kind of, I just was Gary to everybody. Like, you know, from day one, I was the same person. Like, I arrived with Mark Stewart. I didn't, I, I had no knowledge of music, really. And I wasn't a musician of any sort I didn't play anything I just knew I liked it and once I started hearing all this music Adrian was producing with all the people I just loved it I yes. just thought this is, this is this is this is magic right and and then as the confidence would build up, and then me and Adrian spent a long time together late nights when everybody had gone home and because and I think that was one of the reasons I remember asking, how come you end up making albums with me? He said, your enthusiasm. You come all, all the way from Bristol, pay your own train fare. You come and hang out with me all weekends. He said, you're not difficult to get along with. And um, it's nice having someone in the studio with me because he thought he was like a work a workaholic. He'd be there from recording sessions all day, whatever, till two in the morning. And then they'd had enough and go and just be him or me and him back in that time till seven in the morning yes. and go back to his, his little house in East Ham and um, sleep till say midday, one o'clock and then back on a Tuckhead session or a Bim Sherman session, right? And of course I'm just taping everything and then there was all these people wandering in and he, you know, uh, Skip McDonald for, you know, from Tuckhead. Then I said, I got to know Keith LeBlanc and um, yeah. And then this whole Tuckhead album started coming together and for some reason, which I can't even fathom out, I, you know, like I said, I'd done a, I had done a few gigs in the mean, you know, quite a few gig sound system. They had all these rhythm tracks put in this Tackhead sound system album again. And they put, they got me to do some stuff on it and called Gary Clell's Tackhead sound system because they knew I, I was a good vehicle for promoting. Yeah. Because what I was basically doing without realizing it, every gig I was doing, I was promoting on you. Yes, this is true. Yes, it was it was quite the brand, wasn't it, on you? I mean, even, I just remember all those ones that um, Pay It Back, Volume 4. Pay know. It All Back, Pay yeah. It All Back. Yeah, and, and, and I thought, I thought they were brilliant. I, I've not heard a bad one. I mean, I've got most of the records up until about 10 years ago, but, you know, that golden period where there was so much brilliant stuff coming out, and like you said, these Pay It All Back albums. Yes. Billy they're, they're, Bonds. Like, they're like brilliant because everyone, every, I was on them, Annie was on them, Bim Sherman was on them, 
couple of tracks from Tackhead was on and Prince by far I was on them, like, you know. So everybody ended up on these pay-it-all-back albums, <laughs> like, for about eight pounds or something the public could buy them for. I know, that you was know? And, 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 and to this day, they're great, they're great party albums. I mean, you could just take the pay-it-all-back albums and have a dinner party or have people round for drinks and, and just stick stick those albums on all day, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're diverse. Yes. So then, I mean, you hit an absolute moment, don't you, with with anthems? Because at that time, there was the, the birth of... The, we had ecstasy, because being in, into indie pop, things started to change around 87, then ecstasy happened. So there were, obviously, guitar bands that continued, but then there was a lot of kind of... You know, you had that sort of primal scream, soup dragons, um, the Happy Mondays, and then the Stone Roses. And then you had a people like the guy, a guy called Gerald. You had that kind yeah. of Chicago kind of, you know, I remember those compilations buying those and uh, Trouble Funk that came along with that kind of yeah, whole yeah, go go sound. Yeah, I haven't heard in a long time. Trouble Funk. Trouble. Oh, we loved old Trouble Funk, didn't we? And and so yes, guy called Gerald. And then you came, and then there was like the KLF. I, oh God, around that time. Um, but yeah. then you you sort of hit with an amazing couple of anthems which kind of are just solid gold aren't they you know it's um beef and human nature and who pays the piper yeah well they were they said that's quite interesting because like i said at this point paul oakenfold turned up and um you know to be honest with you right it, it's kind of it's kind of like you can't really write this stuff you know i get offered a record deal to sign to rca but you know, but but like, but perfecto. But I was signed to us, and I'm like, I'm living, I'm living a dream, right? But in reality, it was like, it was, it was, it was, it was great because I could bring the budget for the emotional hooligan album and the dream stealers album. And then I went on to sign with Sony. Well, all that budget was brought back to one new sound and Adrian was, it was keeping the company afloat. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but it was definitely helping out because as you know, making a living out of a record company and trying to pay royalties must be, must be horrendous. Right. You know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, I yes. used to ask quite often, say, you all right, Eddie? He said, oh, don't ask, don't ask. It's like trying to get, you know, and you have to constantly work, and it must have been a nightmare for him, right? Do you know what I mean? Trying to trying to trying to keep it all together and run a house and oh god, just the thought of it. But yeah, those those records, it was like it, they first the first one they took was Beef off of End of the Century Party, which was an on you sound record, right? You know, on the label, and Paul Oak and Folk and a remix of that, which was fantastic, right? I just remember Agent's face thinking, wow. I mean, he's, and he, but he was working with a guy called Steve Osborne. Now, Steve Osborne, I think, was the real man behind it, right? I think he might have been in in, a, in one of the glam rock bands, right? You could check his name out on the internet, but I think he might have been. I could be wrong, but somebody told me he was the guitarist in Mud. Oh. <laughs> well, check his name. His name's Steve Osborne. He's up there on the internet, and there's always there's this whole history. But I'm just, I'm I'm sure he's the man, right? Because then when I, when I made um, what did he take off emotion? Because yeah, because then they put on on the, the Paul Oakenfold remix went on to um, the Emotion Hooligan album, which RCA released. But then they took when I was recording um, Dream Stealers, David Arrow had cut a track with a, with Adrian mixing it and me voicing it. Uh, called Who Pays the Piper, and then Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne took that and 
bang in the clubs. That went like colossal for me in the clubs, right? Really, it was like, and it's such. I, 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 I'm just proud to be on that record. It's heavy. It's so heavy, and you know, people have. I, funny enough, I've got my own Gary Clell page now that a guy in America sent up for me who's a, who's, um, a big fan. I think he's like a lawyer for internet, um, uh, a lawyer for um, Amnesty International or something. Right. Right? And so he, he said, well, how come? And I said, well, if you want to set a page up. And you know, it's now got 3,000 members, right? <laughs> and uh, he's been posting up all my old tracks. If I ever do any gigs, he posts up on there. Now, who pays the piper? People go, 27 years old? It's fresh as a daisy. But I think because of Adrian's talent and my, my kind of weird, heavy, Bristol, you know, booming voice, for some weird reason, these records have stood the test of time. Yes. You can still play them. I still play them. I still go out. You know, it's like when I do shows now, I've got this brand new album, but for the encore, I go out with, with the dub versions of Privatised, The Aaron Two Thieves and A Liar, do the vocals, and people love it. Yes. Did you find it a bit strange a couple of years later when Tri Tricky came along and you went, blimey, you've got kind of a similar accent? No, not at all. I, I, I knew Tricky. I, you know, I, I knew, I, you know, the thing about me is like, you know, I've, I've always kept to myself, really, but I, I grew up in that Barneal area where, and and then it's all connected like to um, Noel West and places like that. And Bristol, you know, you have massive attack, or they were called the Wild Bunch then, and we all used to hang around that St. Paul's area and we bump into each other. But uh, I think Tricky had done a a bit of work with Mark Stewart. No, I'm really proud of, of people like Tricky, right? Yes. Nothing. You know, I don't think he really ever had a band until he... But, yeah, I mean, like, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, you know? And, but, uh, but, good, but, good, good, good on them. But a very distinctive voice. And I guess, you know, you're, you've got that same sort of, you know, um, yeah, distinctive vocal range as well. Because actually... Well, I, you know, I had, that, I, had, I had a real problem with it when I first started making records. Because, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I had no... I, it didn't bother me about making records because I was really happy about just doing the sound system. I was making a living out of it, right, you know, and it, it, it was like some, it was like a hobby that I enjoyed doing. And then it got a bit more serious when I had to, because I'd signed a record contract. It was lovely, but it was like, now what? And Adrian used to look at, and then I started really doubting my own voice with the Bristol twang on it. And it got to the stage where Sherwood got so fed up with it. He said, what the, what the, what do you want me to, what is wrong with you? If you start doubting yourself, you need to stop this right now. Uh, we can stop this project. We can give the money back and just say you can't deal with it. If you can't deal because you're not a pop star person, he said, I don't think you're ever going to be a pop star, Gary. I think you've, got, you've created your own niche from doing the gigs. You get on the microphone live, it sounds great, and I think it sounds great. And I'm telling you now, right, if you try and change, you won't get away with this. You'll, you'll try and be a rapper or, you know, and he said, so many artists start speaking the Queen's English perfectly when they do records. And then you hear them in interviews and you think, hang on a minute, is that the same person? Your voice is recognisable. And trust me, stay with it. Get yes. used to it or get out of the game. And I stay with it and I'm really proud of these records now. I've got to be honest with you. I, I like the sound. I like, I like what, what they've turned out like. And I like the fact that people still play them. And I'm really proud on them. But yeah, I was really nervous about people's reaction, wondering what the public might think. And was it the case then? Because, I mean, 
you know, having always been sort of, I suppose, left to centre and, you know, all that part of the, you know, socialism and red wedge, you know, so, you know, those songs like Beef and Human Nature, obviously they're great anthems, aren't they? They're not just kind of, we're having a party and this is all going terribly well. It's just a bit like looking at the injustice of life. And, and yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so that they, they're always going to resonate, resonate, aren't they? Yeah, they all do. Every track, every record I've ever made got this kind of bit of a political lefty, whatever you want to call it, right? You know, but I can't, re- you know, I can't really see me singing pop songs because I wouldn't know where to start. I and mean, I was working with people like Mark Stewart, you know, coming in and saying, "Well, what have we got here, right?" You know, and then, you know, like I said, right? You know, he, 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 he he's, you know, very, very left wing, like you know, and I kind of realised. That, that it didn't, it, it, I don't think it meant to turn out as they turned out, but it was a natural thing. We all come from Bristol, right? We come from working class families. You know, you've got Margaret Thatcher coming into our lives at 16. There was like two and a half million unemployed, and there wasn't even a virus then, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> they go on about two and a half million being unemployed now, but at least they got an excuse. But we, you know, it was just closing everything, right? You know, and it was, it was a really hard time and strange time to grow up in. And like, you know, so you'd naturally kind of working with all these people who were against Thatcher and against the Tories. And I have been all my life, right, because they just seem to want to sell off everything. It did want to seem to sell off everything, privatize it, sell it off. You know, what I mean, don't care about the, the the people who have to go to work for a living. And look at the state of us now. We've all ended up on half most of the countries ended up on minimum wage. <laughs> I know, it's you terrible. know, so it, so yeah, I, I, I don't think any of us meant meant it to be like. It just it was a natural thing for us. We, I, your environment, the environment we grew up in. Yes, well, absolutely, and um, it was very well. God knows what it is now, but back then it was very divided. But then, as the as the nineties progressed, obviously there had been the kind of the whole rave scene, the travellers. The traveling community and, and lots of sound systems. So you must have felt like you were right at the forefront. And then Brit Pop. No, was just... I actually thought I was on the edge because I really didn't. I, I, you know, I wasn't up there with, you know, like the Carl Coxes and the things. You couldn't really, you couldn't really put me on on a rave because I didn't really work right. So they had to put me on right either at the beginning or the middle, or the end, and 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 then it would throw because you know with all these DJs, there's there's a common. 120 beats per minute you know what i mean right you know dj are up there and i and i'm doing this kind of on you sound system or tackhead sound system so most of the time because i had an agent i would get booked on my own or you know like for instance i got booked to do six shows with grace jones i lasted three they paid me off the full six shows worth of money i was tearing it to bits i was rocking the place and of course, race Jones management said this is not working. You know, I, 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 you know, when I when I when I do a gig because of because of the, my belief in this on you sound music was so great, and the lyrical content, it was like I was at war, right? So I used to go there and think, right, you're going to have this, you're going to have this, and then you get me on the microphone doing whatever I do. You know, this is this is a war against those who pollute our skies, our seas, and most of all, you and me. People didn't know what to make of it if they come to see, like, Grace Jones or Front 242, um, you know, and so I quite often, you know, would just go there, do the gig, get paid, and get out of there. But other promoters were there, you see. 
And they think, wow, what was that? And then they'd make some inquiries, and then I get another show off of me in Manchester. So I was, I would get put on a few of those big DJ nights, but not very often. Right, blimey! Did you find that you just because of the sort of nature of the music, the lyrics, and and obviously the the sonic soundscape, did you just feel? Did it just kind of get people too too emotional? <laughs> the adrenaline pumping. Well, like I said, I used to go to the blues at 13 where they have big bass bins and I, it would just take me on a little journey, really, like, you know, and that's, that, that's what I, that's what I try, try to do with people. Was, and, you know, and I was working with some huge rigs. I had command of this sound and a lot of people said that I was really so loud it was painful, right? So, I, you know, I, I had to tone it down in the end. But those early tackhead geese, because it was... Tackhead was kind of experimental, and the Tackhead Take Time album had just been released, but I had all the outtakes. So there was, like, versions upon versions, right? They, they, they were loud, they were mental, they were very punk rock, but electronic punk rock, you know? And I, I could do what I wanted verbally on top of them, and I might read a newspaper clip, and I'd get on the mic and start telling people what I'd read, but I'd do it rhythmically. I'd only have to do two or three lines, because the key to all that for me was not to do too much on the microphone. Yes, simplicity of the... Because it gets boring, right? Yes. I've seen so many rappers, right? You just won't get off the stage, right? So let the music take it. And as you know, we used loads of samples. We were, like, up there at the forefront. Adrian was really clever at kind of, like, getting those samples as clean and as he possibly could, right, you know? Because I, 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 one of the worst things for me is when you hear music and you and especially if it's going to be like hardcore punk rock or a bit political when you can't hear the lyrics yeah or you can't hear the sample it's all muffled i know it's not good so, so you're not really really quite sure what they're trying to say you know because so. because one thing i noticed going to you you know slightly well actually it reminded me when you were talking about those sound systems i remember sly and robbie especially in the 80s they do something called the taxi gang and they would sort of go on for about three and a half hours and get different vocalists and their sound systems and that bass with sly and, and dunbar um was just phenomenal you know that that really did create quite a soundtrack during the 80s and into the 90s yeah. so that was kind of influential but i just noticed that actually with that the, the next single after who pays the piper these things are worth fighting for you've always been very good at getting the message over which i did notice with tony blair as well um there was always you know you know instantly they're recognizable songs aren't they i mean there's like okay i've got it they are, well, they were structured well because I, that was uh, the rhythm section was Tackhead, right? But they'd all played with, like, the Sugar Hill, right? They'd been, like, house musicians for years, right? And then Mark Stewart wrote those lyrics. And, he, you know, he, and he said to me, and listen, right, you've got to do this in a really powerful, powerful, powerful way. It's going to be so blunt. There's not even many lyrics, right? And you, you will be able to handle this, right? You know, and I think we've done it in two or three takes, but it, 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 it was like, so, and really, because I, I, I had no intentions of being a pop star, and every day was a bonus, because I kept thinking it's all going to end tomorrow, right? especially <laughs> when I got signed up, so I really didn't care, because what I, the only thing I cared about was, my, was what I used to call my sound system. I was like, by this point, you know, I, 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 I was becoming like this guy known for wandering Australia, America, and Europe by the time all those records were out with this carrier bag full of cassettes so i treated myself to a kind of 
a metal box that was built for me, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah, no, and and, and I really didn't because I obviously RCA didn't really want to re- release this, you know. I mean, where well, how are you gonna have a hit with that? With that, you know. But somehow, some way, we did three videos. We did two in Poland. We did um, these things that we're fighting for, and um, hear no speak no evil. That's the one where I don't know if you've seen it. Where I, I, don't, I don't know what happened, but we we were, we did we cut it in this big country house, like because obviously the lyrics about one law for the rich, another for the poor. Then we went around to the ghetto in Warsaw, where all people with nothing live, and we did little shots of that. And then on the way back from a shoot, we saw all these tanks in a field, right? I thought, what are they? And the the wall is just, it's not long term, it's been down in about five years. But what it was, it was all these tanks left over from the Russian army. They just left them there. These huge, and I'm, I'm talking maybe a thousand tanks, right? And so we went in there to have a look, maybe just shoot some, shoot the, the, the director wanted to shoot some footage. I found out it was a homeless shelter. It was blokes, people living in them. Blimey. Homeless alcoholics and stuff, right? <laughs> So the director's going, yeah, I went, yeah, do you think if we could get all these homeless guys stood on top of these tanks with these kind of torches, lit torches, and then we'd get the soundtrack up. And then, yeah, we did, we did some, yeah, so, so it was mad. It was every day doing that for me was a bit of a blur. Blimey. And I just think it's a, if I look back on it now and how these videos ever got made with the financing of a major record label, I really don't know. Because that video for these these things are worth fighting for, that's kind of very dramatic, because that's the one you're walking through the big house with the lighting and the... That's right, yeah. That, is that quite... was the plan. That, that, was the, it was, that was the whole plan, right? They had a, a... I had a chat with this director, right, and I really liked him, and I told him, look, I, I, I can see you're not a normal pop star, Gary, you're so fine, tell me what you... And I said, well, I've got this vision, and he said, well, I'm thinking Poland, right, because we've only got 16 grand per video i think we had 16 grand for these things which was i mean remember they were making you know the majors were making videos that cost like 80 90 grand in those days right yes. and remember right every penny you you spend you've got to pay back anyway yes. right so he said they only give us a budget of 16 grand right so i'm thinking poland i said yeah he said one i can buy I've made a contact there. I can buy some really old, original um, black and white film from a, an old film company that I'm really interested in buying to make your video. And two, I think I can hire this mansion for the day that's kind of decrepit and on its last legs. And I like the. I said, yeah, well, uh, let's do it. Yes. And we went. And we, we went out to Poland for about four days and cut two videos. Classic. Or for like 16 grand. And of course, right, he was an independent filmmaker. He had to pay his staff, pay himself, the air tickets, the hotels and everything like, you know. But when I look back on the, that, that those two videos now, oh, I'm just really proud of them. I just think, well, you know, it's not me, is it? It's a creative team. Absolutely. This, 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 is, this is how really good music is made, you know. And you know my new album, there's only three of us made it. But the producer and me got on so well, and he was so talented, like, you know. And, and when, when you talk to someone properly, and I had a long talk with him, and I said, "Look, you know, I, I'm not the best vocalist, but you are." I said, "No, no, no. I'm, I must tell you, I'm dyslexic. I have a problem retaining, um, 
lyrics and stuff. So he, yeah. he, so he said, and I explained to him how Adrian Maiden with me. He said, but you seem so natural live. I said, yeah, because I'm not with a band. He went, right, and you don't like playing with bands? I said, no, I get, I, I get tongue-tied. I, I get a bit nervous up there. And they tried it with a band with me for a while, with Tackhead and Dub Syndicate. And it kind of worked because I could ad-lib. But trying to do it like song formatted, being like the record, I, I could just never get away with it. So I went back doing the sound system, and that's what I decided to do again. Yes. Go back and do the sound system with a live musician and let the music take the night. And, and basically, I'm playing the album... Um, it's, and like I said, it's the outtakes, but it's basically um, the whole album from start to finish uh, with me doing live vocals as and when I want to come in. And I've stripped off the um, the instrument, the, the, the flute, the, the saxophone and the trombone and trumpet. And Tony just brings those instruments on stage and he plays it and it works brilliant. Because yes. I'm ad-libbing again, which I'm really good at. Yeah. So, so... So it was 2013 that you started to work on Nail It to the Mask, isn't it? Yeah, I was working. I was I was working in a homeless shower in Bath. Yes. And my father phoned me and he said, "Look, I've had this lad on the phone, right? And he really, really wants to meet you, right?" So I said, oh, "Is it music?" And he went, "Yeah, but he's lovely, right? And I think you should ring him. He's been really polite." And uh, so I rung this guy and he, and he explained who he was. And he said, can I come and see you? And I was living on a boat at the time up at Ancient. And I'd been working in the night, in the night shelter since 2010. And because uh, I, 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 you know, I struggled to get a job for ages after, after the, the kind of whole, whole on you sound thing went, went, uh, uh, finished. And, uh, but that's another story. But I ended up working in this night shelter. He, he contacted me, come to see me. He explained that the reason he's, he, he wants to meet me is two things. He's having his 40th birthday party, and he's got a venue just on the outskirts of London, and he wants to do it private, and he wants to pay me properly to do one of my old tacket sound systems. And secondly, he asked me, do you have all your old cassettes? I said, yeah, I've got two dustbin liners for here on the boat, and they're rotting. Because I lived on a boat, you know, it gets damp on a boat, and he went, right. First thing, sirs, right? I want to talk to you about making an album. And I went, really, really? And he said, yeah. I said, what makes you think we, can, me and you, can make an album? I said, remember, I had Tackhead, Dub Syndicate, Adrian Sherwood, Skip McDonald, Bang Bang Bang. And he went, no, listen, right? I design top high-end uh, computers for Toshiba. I went, do you? He went, yeah, that's that's what I do. I've also got my own recording studio. I built. I make music. Um, but I'm a bit of a geek, and I think with your imagination and my technology side of it, I think we could make an album. And I said, you sound pretty sure. And he said, well, why don't we give it a go? I mean, do you get much time off? I said, yeah, I, I do four days on, four days off. He said, right, well, I get most weekends off. Why don't you come and stay with me? I only live in Southampton, which is just down the road from Bristol. Uh, so yeah. I, I, live in, I lived in just outside Bath. And I said, yeah, it's about an hour and three quarters on the train. So that's how that started. And we started working on Nailed to the Mass. And it was, off. It was first, his first ever album because he played me some of his stuff. And I knew straight away it was technically brilliant but boring. And I told him, <laughs> right? And he went, well, thank you. He said, I kind of, I've kind of known that anyway. And I've been so embarrassed to ever release anything. This is before the days of Bandcamp and whatever. Yeah. And then I said, "Well, look, why don't we? Well, let's let's just come up with come up with some light bulb moments. And when it feels good, let's just we just made it." 
And like I said, we made this album and it doesn't really flow, but it was our first together. But sound quality wise, it's great. It's a great album that way, but it, it doesn't flow like the second one. So that, that came about purely from a fan who wanted to know why I wasn't making records anymore and asked me, can we make some records together? Well, that's, you know, these things are good. These, so did that kind of make you, because obviously there'd been quite a gap, did you sort of think, actually, this isn't so bad the second time round, you know, like? Well, I wasn't, I, I wasn't signed to anybody, right, so I had no pressure. And then I started getting offered a few gigs again because obviously some of those gigs were so intense and I played with some big bands, you know, I played at Wembley with the Happy Mondays, I played at Spike Island with the Stone Roses, I'd done, I played gigs all over America. I went off on my own to America, right, with literally a holder with some jeans and T-shirts in and a little flight case with about 70 cassettes. And I toured 32, 32 college uh, uh, universities around America and got paid like $1,500 a night. I'm talking 94. Wow. And people had never heard nothing like it, right, you know? And I came back through back to England after a month with like $31,000 in, in, in one of those old bum bags. Remember those bum yes. bags? Yes. Oh, yes. I just walked straight through customs. You, yeah. know? <laughs> you know, so I've had a cut of a really strange career. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's been odd. But, yeah, I, I made this nail it to the mask with him, right? And it took about eight months to do in our spare time. And I thought, well, where do I go with this? I mean, I haven't got a record label. And then... Um, we found we found a label um, uh, outside of Oxford, or a distribution company, and they agreed to distribute it for like a percentage. And it done it didn't do very many. It, it it was it was okay, but then because of that, I got offered doing sound systems again. Not many, but like people like yourself would phone up. Yes, do you still do? Or Facebook? I'd start going on Facebook for the first time in 2010, and I then I suddenly realised like you know that when I put my name on Facebook for the first time. So I didn't even know how to register. And um, people were friending me, friending me, and then putting my videos up. And this is where this Jeff Deere character in America, he was going, I, I don't think you realize that you're still quite popular. And I think if we do this page, and it, it kind of built from there. And I think, like I said, there's a, over 3,000 people on this page, and it's building all the time. And uh, he started putting a few nails to the mass up there. I started getting a few more gigs. And um, then Andy, 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 and Andy got a full-time job, quite a heavy job, doing computer work. He was, you know, he said to me, like, I, I don't really want to do any music at the moment. I went to the Isle of Wight, and I went to see this Japanese DJ. I got a friend on the Isle of Wight. And basically, right, I, I got a bit jealous. So I watched this one guy up there with a really good sound system in this church, and he was playing all his own music, and it, it was all computer music, but it reminded me of Tacket Sound System. It was quite heavy, but it wasn't that good. And I, I got a bit jealous because the gig was packed, and I thought, oh, I, 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 it's good, but it's not as good as, uh, forgive me for saying this, but it's not as good as the Tacket Sound System yes. that I was part of. But 
I rang Andy and I said, look, I, I, I want to make another album. And I, 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 guess, I said, no, seriously, I tell look, I, I watched this DJ last night, right, and he was good, but I, I, listen, right, if we craft this, if we get this right, I, I said, I, 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 I told him the plan. I, I don't want any, like, tracks that are just, like, three minutes long. I want it to flow. I want it to be, like, pink flow. I, want, I, I just want it to flow, like, you're, you know, like a river just running and I said I want it to be really intense. And I said lyrically, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write about what's going on on our planet. We got nothing to prove to anyone. We're not looking to write hit songs. We're not writing. We're not writing to impress anybody. We're just gonna feed information from a bloke like myself, a bloke like yourself, who watches the news and you know our opinions, what we come out with. Instead of just making the opinions, let's write the opinions. So that's what we did. And this is what you've been, you're sort of playing live at the moment. Or when about... I do sound system now, it's all, it's all, all, apart from, apart from, say, the encore. So I do an hour and 25 minute set. I've got Tony Rafter up on stage with his musical instruments. And I'm playing the whole album, less the vocals, less the, less the brass. And I got, I'm on the microphone. Fantastic. And I've got a couple of effects. You know, I've still got a little SPX90, which is basically a, a delay, a big reverb, and that's all I've got. It's two effects, microphone, and this brand-new album. And like I said, I played I, I was a bit nervous, because obviously I hadn't played paid, proper paid gigs where people come to see me. The first couple were okay, but the time I did the third one, people were just loving it so and then um tony gleed uh, who runs the dublin castle he does his radio show called solo radio he said to me i've i've played a different track every month for the last four months people are loving it gary i'm getting phone calls people are loving it yeah excellent so basically you're you're sort of a bit like one of those, I mean, it's the ideal thing. You mentioned people like Twisted Sister, and I remember, you know, I love my rock documentaries. So a lot of bands, you know, they were just played live for ages, kind of work out what worked, what did, what worked well, what didn't work well, yeah. sort of, and sort of respond to, you know, like, yeah, let's drop that number or let's change that. Was it a bit like that with you, with this kind of album, that you were able to start to work out what songs were particularly good well, to be, to, to be honest with you, it, it was it, it's it's like anything else when you start a job, when it's, you know you're building foundation for a house. It's, you got you, you don't you know it's 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 it's, it's quite difficult. To, and then once you get it, once you you're on a roll, and I, and this is what this is what and, and Andy's really patient, right? He's not you know I can be a bit loud in vocal where he's really quiet and he makes suggestions, and that's what I love about him, right? You know he, he, he you know. I, 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 my character, like, you know, it's, it's quite in your face, like, you know, and I, I, I you know, it, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't go clubbing, but he kind of, he's, he's a bit, he studies music, right, you know, and he, he, he's read books about, he's built his own recording studio, and he's not built it to show off, or he built it as a hobby, right, you know what I mean? So when I, when I got into the way his head works, and then I explained to him, my difficulties and uh, how I'm not—I'm not, you know—I'm not the best singer in the world. Well, in fact, I can't really sing. I don't know. I don't know, really know. It's, it's quite unique, you know. It's—it's it's like I was—I was up in Wales. I did this concert for 
um, Justice for Harry about this young lad who got killed by that American um, oh, diplomat's yes. wife. So they, they were raised. I went up and, and, and we nailed it. And I was back at Heather's and they listened to the album and they had a proper um, valve amp hand-built sound system in their house, right? And I, I, I'd never heard nothing like it. It was amazing. And then, of course, I've got all the old new sound stuff. He saved all my old cassettes. And I've he's got the top of the range Apple laptops plus his recording studio. And he said, I think what we could do with these old cassettes, why don't we do take the best of the cassettes, I'll, I'll transfer them back into digital, I'll clean them up, and then we'll do gigs with them. We'll, we'll do a gig in my recording studio and I'll print them off on CD for you or on memory stick, however you want to do this. Then you basically got your, all your old back catalogue, all the outtakes, now mixed. So when you go and do a gig, I'm going to build you a box. He's built me this box, right? It's got four memory sticks in it, and I can have sound effects on it. I can have um, outtakes from all new days. I can have my new album, and I can also have the outtakes in. It's got a microphone input. It's got a little screen that comes up, and then I can slow down tracks, right? Even on a memory stick. It's amazing what he's built, right? You know, my friend Tony, he had a look at it. He said, how has he done this? I said, I'm not going to ask me. <laughs> and then as I put in the fader up, the track, the next track will flow digitally um, in perfect timing with what was originally playing. Yes. And it, so, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm back really to do like these unique sound. I'm basically upgraded from, from, from the carrier bag with cassettes to these four memory sticks, but with everything on them from on you. So I can do a tack head night if I wanted to. I could do an on you sound reggae night if I wanted to. I could do a Gary Clell on you. Or I could do a, the whole new thing. But I'm, I've, I've weaned myself off of not doing any on you gigs, right? Because they don't really belong to me, all that stuff, right? Yes. You know, that's, that's, that's Adrian and all the people he worked with. Um, but now I can walk on stage and do the brand new Gary Clayle thing, which is obviously heavily influenced from working with all those lads. But in my own own style, in my own way, with, with music that belongs to me and Andy Chapman. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it's it's yeah. it's a good one because because obviously, I mean. I mean, like anybody, an artist, you know, you've you've obviously had that kind of amazing takeoff, you know, with that you know, that early work and singles that, you know, and going around the world. Then the period where it not so musical and creative, probably, and then sort of back again. So it must feel quite nice to sort of feel like I don't know. I mean, you, you probably wouldn't go for this, but you know, like somehow doing the music again and sort of feeling a bit more in control of it has probably made the past feel a little bit better in the sense of it's like unfinished business that you... you know, yeah, 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 basically. I mean, if I if I don't make another album, this album that Andy Chapman and myself, but, you know, I mean, he delivered he, he delivered it here five times and, 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 and the first twice I said, no, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. Oh, Gary, you know, done, but you know, I've got, I've got, you know, I've got this new job, and I said, well, okay, okay, well, we'll just leave it then. And then he's lovely, and he went back and did it. And by the fifth, the fourth time, he turned up at my house. He drove all the way up, twelve o'clock on a Saturday morning. He said, it's done. Don't ask me again, <laughs> right? So I, so I played it, and halfway through, he went, it's still not done, is it? It's still not done. 
So anyway, right, you know, I told him what I wanted, right? You know, I said, listen, you need to lift this. I want these sound effects going here. And he made notes of everything, right? When it got delivered the fifth time, right, I, 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 I nearly cried, right, because it's so heavy. It's so heavy and so danceable. And, I, I, you know, I was a bit worried, like, you know, that maybe might not have had the ability totally. Because remember, I've worked with Sherwood and, and Oakenfold, you know what I mean? And these are top, top boys, right? You know, I, I nearly cried. Well, I did cry. I had tears in my eyes in my front room. I just gospel through, right? And I said to him, right, about six weeks later, it, it, I spoke to him on the phone because he, he doesn't even like people going to his house. So he's quite a, he's quite a difficult person like to make a phone call to because he works with computers and he's tired all the time so i have to send him a message is it okay to ring you (laughs) sunday morning so i rang him after after, like i got the album when i was totally happy i said right how did you how did you have all your how did you manage how did you because i am he said you i'm I'm over the moon and i don't care if i never make another album again i can finish my career now happily it's fit. I, I, can, I can walk away from this, never make another record again. I can go back doing gigs for the next couple of years with this brand new stuff. How did you manage to get it that intense? He said, you know what I did, guys? I said, tell me. He said, you know, I don't drink. I said, yeah. He said, I drank. I, 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 I was drinking, right? So I already had it set up. So I had everything in place and I just needed to put, how would Gary like it? How, how would Gary do these gigs with this? if he had control of my mixing desk on a stage right now. I said, you never, I burst out laughing. <laughs> I said, you did. He said, I had about five cans of beer. And I, he said, I don't even drink. And he said, so it was all done. It was all balanced. I just had to put the touches in, you know, the big snares that you wanted. Because I wanted, um, I, I'm, I, I, he thought I was nuts at the time. I said, you remember that Phil Collins drums back from the 80s? Yes. In the air tonight. I said, is it possible to sample a drum sound like that and put it on a program. He went, yeah. I said, can you do that? And he went, yeah, I can. So I've got these massive 80s drums on there, but running in time with a program, do you know what I mean? Excellent. Yes, we, we've come to love that drum bit now, haven't we? We've, we've made peace in that, that world. Oh, it's not on every track, but, you know, and it, but he's dropped it in every now and again for me. So, you know, we've made, uh, yes, yeah, uh, really, really, Dave, David, I, I'm, uh, I'm at peace with myself about this album. Excellent. And you know, I mean, I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard the, the showcase I put up on on my Facebook page? No, but I need to check that oh, out. If you go to my Facebook page, Gary Clayle. There's uh, Andy's put a show reel together of the new album. It's only about maybe two minutes long, but it's 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 a piece all spliced together of the new album. So go into the Gary Clayle uh, Facebook page, scroll down, and then you'll see it. Violence showcase. Excellent. You can you, so we give everybody a taster. And because of that little taster I've, you know, put out, I've been getting off a chance through it. Not many, but enough. Um, uh, I got think I got off. I had I had about seven shows lined up just before we went into lockdown, because what I was going to do with the money from the, the, the seven shows I had, which came to a total of about eight thousand quid, I was going to put the album out myself through Cargo in London. That they'll do all the digital downloads for me because I'm not really good and Andy said I haven't got time to do this I'm working so I went to see the, the the manager of Chicago he loved the album he said but what we need Gary is a budget 
and I haven't got a budget, right? I've only got two people working for me. I used to have 15, right? The music industry is on its knees, right? Yeah. So what I would suggest you do, you do some gigs, you get some money, we'll sort the digital downloads and we'll take 10%, right? But you need to put some vinyl out. This album deserves to go vinyl and you'll need about four grand I'll get manufactured for you, all right, and we'll distribute them through the shops. But you also need a couple of grand for press. I went, I got you. So he said, as soon as you've got the money, we'll go ahead. I had it all sorted for release for August 1st, and then we went into lockdown. Oh, yes, this is But it'll come back. I'm, not, I'm really not bothered. It, I mean, honestly, right, it's not going to date this album. It's the same issues. It's, it's the climate. It's like, you know, I've got one track on there called Violence, which is colossal. And I ended up in Belgium. A couple of lads asked me to go out there and, and do, they have a, uh, they have this kind of um, art thing that happens once a year in Belgium. And they invited me out as a guest DJ. And this was a year ago. Um, and I went out, I went out there and they said, look, we, we want to cut, cut some tracks with you, right? And I went, really? And they said, yeah, well, we've got our own label. And I went back, to, I had no, enough, no, nothing prepared, but they had this one track and it basically gave me a microphone and I just thought, right, you, you know, you're up against it here. And what I did, I sang a song about a very violent person that I know, how he makes people unhappy. And I said, so it's going to be, so you're going to have to chop this. And they went, yeah, yeah, just go for it, just go for it. I think it's one of the best tracks on the album. It, 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 you'll, you'll hear a bit of it on the showcase. It just goes violence, terrifying people. Wherever you go, you carry darkness in your eyes. And then it loops, you know, violence. You're going to burn in hell. And it's. And then I was also thinking when I was doing the lyrics, you know, with all, all the terrorist atrocities that have been going on out in Beirut, um, out, out with the barrel bombs in Syria, so I was I was imagining all this stuff, and I'm kind of ad libbing, and they just took the best bits out, and they've made this violence tune. Andy then got it sent back to him, and we put Tony on, we put brass and flute on it, so the track was already cut, already mastered. But Andy found a way of putting Tony back on it. We drove down to his, put some blankets up in his kitchen because Andy's never recorded live brass before. <laughs> it's just mad, isn't it? Live little council house down in <laughs> Southampton, and yes. um, and then and then we put some sound effects on it. And yeah, it's it's it's, it's killer. I, I, I'm sorry if I'm talking so much. No, I'm no, just it's trying fine. To give you as much information. Well, no, this, this is... album is up there with anything. And this about, is, you know, I, 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 I can really hold my head up high and say I, I, there's no fillers on this. Every track's a killer, and there's only nine tracks. But it's an hour and hour and ten minutes long. Yeah. But it's like you take a deep breath when you finish. You kind of go, I played it up I played it up in Reading. I've been working with this, this new little crew uh, called Pink Diamond Review, and they invited me up, and they've got a little farmhouse, and they're a little gathering of about eight people, and they've got a girl singer. I played them the album, and they they all got up in the front room, and they clapped, and they went, put it on again. They went, it breathes, Gary. It breathes. It's saying something. No one's saying it. No one's saying it. You're saying it, what we're all thinking. Excellent. God, but this is, this is well, you know, thank, thank God, you know, something positive's coming out of this year. <laughs> it's not. You know, it's it, 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 it's like you know what what you need to do with me is um, 
because obviously, right, because what I've had to do, I've had to learn so much. I, I, I never understood because I've never owned any of my records, right? You know, I've, I got PRS for them and I, I got an advance from RCA, you know, but I've never owned any, any either RCA owned them or on you sound owned them. But with this, I own it and I have to register it with PPL. Do you know about PPL? Yes, I have come across PPL. Yeah, yes. well, I never knew about any of this, right? I knew about PRS, right? But then. God, it was a nightmare. I spent like from eleven o'clock in the morning with Tony Rafter, and he's he's really intelligent. Like you know, I'm dyslexic as well, so I explained to the woman I've made this album that I'm a known artist, and she said, "Well, what you need to do?" I said, "No, you can't, you're going to have to stay on the phone with me. We've never done." Oh God, every track's got to have a digital code, hasn't it? <laughs> Who played on it? Where it was recorded? Oh, I had to ring Andy. He had to send me a document what, when it was recorded, what studio. Then we then about the Belgium stuff. Well, it took five and a half hours. And afterwards, Tony Rafter, and I had to thank the woman. She's been on the phone for over five hours because, it, it, you know, you've got to do it at home on the computer. And there's all these different little things that you've got to do to register it. And we'd never done it before. And after it was finished, Tony went, should we go out for dinner? I'm going to buy you dinner. And I went, why? He said, well, congratulations. You now own your own album the first time in your life. Excellent. This is good. It must have felt nice. It felt brilliant. You know, because really, at the end of the day, I only ever guested on those other records. I had quite a lot of input, but, you know, most of the input, you had people writing stuff because it was all experimental. I mean, those boys were cutting tunes, those tackhead boys' tunes, and Adrian had old stuff, and... You know what I mean? So, but this, this belongs to myself and uh, Andy, Andy Chapman. I registered him as well at the same time, and I put and, and every track that Tony's on, I gave him a de- decent percentage of it because I realised that I want him to do gigs with me. I was going to put quite a few on stage, and then I, he stopped the carnage. Guess he said, "I don't think we look. We're not going. You're not going to be up there doing song perfect. You're going to be doing." And I think you should carry on doing what you do. Just go on the microphone, come in and out. I'll play in and out on it. We've got the outtakes. We've got your old stuff, the dub versions of your old stuff for encores. You know, like Privatise Air, Two Thieves and Alara, I can do live vocals on. But I'm not really going to be using them. It's just, you know, if uh, if we ever do big festivals and they go crazy, I shall hit them with Privatise Air and Two Thieves and Alara. Yes, it's going to, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you must have fans, though, who go back all the way, remember those early days, but you must be picking up people who are still kind of wanting, you know, who'd like a good sound system. Well, well, this is this, this, this is what Tony Gleed, you know, he, he thought about this. He was, I was thinking a way of getting you back, right? But he, he said to try and get people to pay you haven't got a band, so this is why I offer you the residency because I I I I went to you know I know of what you did and I, I I'm a big fan of your records and when I got a copy of your album and I, and I listened to it I thought how can I get this guy known again, and he said I, that's why I offer you the residency because I knew you'd nail it. He said it was a bit ropey the first two. He said but by the time you hit the third, and I put pink. So he, he said that, so what I'm planning on doing with you because it's gonna it's gonna do it again. Dublin Castles. By the skin of their teeth, so they nearly went under. They've now got a grant, you know, part of this Arts Council grant. Yeah. They've had it refurbished. And as soon as 
which will probably be next year if we're all being honest with each other before music venues start opening again i'll get you back and you can do every friday for six months not every friday once a month for six months and then we'll put young up-and-coming groups because i get tapes sent me all the time and i keep my ear to the ground around you so we'll have two or three acts on you on it midnight because we don't shuttle two you play for an hour and ten, and then we'll have a DJ to finish. But we'll have a couple of young acts, and that's what that, that's what he was doing prior to the lockdown. And this is how I met Pink Diamond Review. It's just one guy, one guy and a drummer, a guitarist and a drummer, and they're phenomenal. They're just phenomenal, right? There's no lyrics. It's like an hour of this kind of psycho rockabilly dance music with samples triggered off the floor. It's perfect. It's it's it's, it's brilliant. It, it, me and him kind of fit together. Yes. So any any gigs is coming up. You know, if I can get him 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 with me, check them out. It's called Pink Diamond Review. The guy the guy's named Tim Lane. He's lovely, right? And um, he's really talented. He's got his own little recording studio, and he plays everywhere, all over the country. Just jumping in a car, him and a drummer, and they play anywhere. And they play for nothing some nights, right? But they, they, he just loves it. He just loves it. He just loves. He just loves making music. So, um, so I, I, I think there'll be other projects coming up. But like I said, if 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 I never make another album again, I know for the next couple of years when the lockdown comes out, I, 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 I'm so confident that once I get a few gigs and a couple of festivals under, under my belt, this whole thing will hopefully go off again yeah well that'd be amazing so so gary i mean after such a sort of interesting kind of like period you know music kind of starting then stopping then starting again i mean if you were to say something to an 18 year old self you know starting out you know what would you have said to them because obviously there's kind of things you must have learned over those decades or reflected on think god yeah i wish i'd known that when i started kind of with the wisdom that moment of wisdom you think yeah that would have been really good <laughs> what i would say is right make sure it's energy you've got a lot of energy in it right and never never put nothing out that you're not totally 100 percent satisfied for that you've crafted right so i i hear so much stuff I get I get sent a lot of stuff right um, on my Facebook page right, and you can tell it's somebody's got a little bit of equipment, and it, it's some of it's dire, uh, and it's quite embarrassing for me. But what I always say to people is, you know, I think, well, why are they sending me this? What, 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 what am I? You know, I, I say to them, go back, rethink it, and craft it, and never be frightened to think outside the box. Yes. Just never be frightened to think outside the box, lyrically or anything. I mean, honestly, right, when I came up with Beef, How Low Can You Go, it was two things, right? One, I was reading the National Geographic right, in late night, in the, and I read this thing about bovine spongy form, right? And then it was the base, How Low Can You Go, Public Enemy, right? Oh, yes. So I'm like... Adrian, what, 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 what are you on about? And he was really busy, right? He kind of dismissed me. And I was sat outside and Wobble was out there and Levine. And I, I, and he was going, what was that you were on about? I was going, beef, how low can you go? He had a catacryst. It's going to be this mad cow disease, apparently. And then Levine's going, sing it again. And he's got this little Casio... Um, you know, keyboard, and he's going, ding, 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 
So I get back into studio and that's how beef came about. Nice. It all makes See sense. what I mean? It's weird, isn't it? You know, it's like it wasn't written. It wasn't no lyrics were written. It was just like I said, reading the National Geographic, thinking, "Hmm, public enemy base, a beef. How low can we go?" He had a tad of cry, and then of course, who arrives on that evening? Bim Sherman, and then Adrian's go, "Bim, sing." Gary's got this thing to uh, sing this. Don't you know that is wrong? <laughs> and that's how that whole record came together. Amazing, I know. So, if you, you know, young people, right, craft it. Just don't give up on it. And then, and sometimes the, the weirder, the better. But as long as it got some sort of makes sense that people can understand. Yes, this is true. Yeah, I mean, the message is, you know, it's in, you know, it's the, what the, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, those kind of memorable lyrics or that that sort of sentiment, that yeah. sort of that 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 is with us, kind of. I don't know, probably thirty yeah. years and later. Then of course, and, and of course, right, you know, that was all starting to link in with um, out in the Amazon, chopping down all the rainforest to graze cattle or to or to or or to. Um, Grow those what they call those little protein. Oh, soya uh, beans. Soy. Soya, right? You know, and then I was just thinking, God, this 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 record's taking a life of its own. Do you know mm. what I mean? I know. So when the cover of the album came out, um, we had like the Amazon with just a few trees in it and smoke where they've been burning it all down because it was all tied in. You know, the the, the relentless. Um, the relentless hunger for meat, <laughs> you know what I mean? no, it's, it's, chopping down the rainforest. It's not good. It's not good. But look, Harry. You well, know? thank you ever so much for this. No, I, I'm sorry if I've gone on a bit. I no, didn't do that. But it, I hope you've got <laughs> enough there to no, get background. No, it's been it's been fantastic, and you know, I'm just so pleased that the uh, your next project sounds like it's it's going to be one of those. Yeah, what's this space? It's heavy. It's, 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 it's dangerous. It's really it's, lyrically. It's on it. It's like we've all been thinking about it. You know. You know, I mean, I mean, who writes lyrics? I want to see the face of the barrel bomb maker. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking, it's outrageous. They're dropping barrel bombs. Someone's making these barrel bombs, right, in a fucking factory somewhere in Syria. And then they're flying them up in helicopters, right, from Russia. And then they're releasing them. I mean, it's just like... And then they're bombing people with these huge barrel bombs, right? And, and, and Andy went, that's the chorus. That's the chorus for a song, Gary. I want to see the face of the Barabon makers, you know? And like, yeah, look at me, mate. Let me, tell me why you, how can you live with yourself? This is true. This is do you true. know what I mean? Like me and you sat in the garden, I'll tell you what we do guys the weekend, right? You know, our regime's collapsed. And that was me in conversation with Gary Clare. If you want to know any more information, he has um, various social media platform sites. And um, yes, just go and find them. Anyway, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. Um, you can contact me if you want, a bit random I know, but you can do that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do C86 Show. And also all these interviews have been archived and you can find those on iTunes, Spotify and Podbean. There you go. Have a great week. <laughs>